0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Wood Zick, and this is episode 108 with Sarah Connell. Sarah is one of the smartest people I know. She's a tireless advocate for trans and queer rights, and she is starting her new career as a professional slut. Yes, you heard that right. You heard that right. So we talk about... Just a slew of really awesome things that made my heart very, very happy. We have a link to her website, QueerSexEd.org. She also has a podcast. That link is in the episode description. We also have a link to her Medium piece, which is a a must-read if you haven't already. And it's titled, When You Say I Would Never Date a Trans Person, It's Transphobic. Here's Why and important stuff, folks. Just listen and let your heart and mind be opened. This is quite possibly my favorite episode I've ever recorded. If not the favorite, then definitely in the top three to five. This episode is sponsored by Panfocal Photography. If you checked out Boulder Pride, you probably saw this kick-ass photo of Sarah And that was taken by William Dibble of Panfocal Photography. So for any event, production, headshot, whatever you need photography for, you should talk to William and hire Panfocal Photography. All right, folks, please enjoy episode 108 with Sarah Connell. professional slut. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah!
1: <laughs> oh, it makes me so happy to hear that introduction.
0: <laughs> I've not had a professional slut on the podcast before, Wonderful. very excited I'm to have you glad I could be
1: on. here first.
0: Um, and you're a podcaster yourself. I am. Your podcast is Queer Sex Ed. Folks mm-hmm. are going to, not if they want to listen to it, they're <laughs> going to listen to it. They're going to go to queersexed.org. They can also find it on iTunes, mm-hmm. Stitcher, all Stitcher the good places. Awesome. Tell me about how your podcast came to be, and it's sort of relaunching right now, so folks should catch up.
1: Yeah, totally. So uh, my history with podcasting actually goes back a ways. I um, was playing World of Warcraft a lot in college, uh, which started in 2008 for me, and uh, I was actually leading a guild at the time, and there was a big podcast called The Instance that was like a... A nerdy sort of world of warcraft focused podcast and the guy who was the host of that his name is scott johnson was like a big he ended up having a big network of lots of different things and so i was sort of listening to that and then i would hop onto the other shows and sort of join other stuff and i was like oh this is a really cool ecosystem and this was really before it was way before Serial, way before like anything was else was really big but i worked at a health the health department at cu boulder for a little while and there were was somebody there named lee who was a really great supervisor and who loved podcasts and so um i told her that i was listening to podcasts and she's like i listen to podcasts too you should check out radio lab and like the other like good things that were happening at the time um not that it's gotten bad it's still really good um and from that we had this conversation i was just like yeah i really want to have a podcast about sex like i think because I was doing a lot of sex education at the time and I was doing a lot of work around like relationship, wellness and communication and all sorts of stuff like on a college campus. And um, I just felt like what people struggled to have was a framework for how to talk about things differently. Like people wanted something different. They wanted to talk about sex in a different way, but they didn't have a framework and language and um, validation that it was okay to be honest about your desires, to discuss what you wanted to be doing, to hear no and be okay with that and learn how to, still voice your desires, even if they're, you might get rejected or, you know, these other things that college students struggle with, but I realized it was just a microcosm of like a larger world (laughs) because it's like, it turns out, oh, just kidding. High school never ends. Everything is just a bigger version of high school. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Um, And so, so I had this podcast called Sex Buffs and uh, (laughs) that was like, like, and I just interviewed people. It was, I was interviewing people on campus who, some were friends of mine and some were people that I got directed to. But it was all um, conversations about sex and sexuality, but not with sex educators, like not with people who are professionals, but um, with people who were just like talking about their everyday experience. It was like, how did you figure out, like, how did you first learn about gender? And what was your, like, how did you learn about sex and sexuality? And what were some of your first sexual experiences like? And just some of those conversations that we just don't really have. And it really helped me realize that everyone has such a varied story. On sex and sexuality and how they came to sex and we all think that it's like this thing where it's like every sixteen year old like holds hands and then they make out and then they like go to their parents' basement when one of them's out of town and they have sex for the first time. And like we have this like media construction of what everyone's sort of sex narrative looks like. And I think sometimes we're uncomfortable so we just project that onto everyone else and just go like everyone else must have had that sexual experience. Right. And we don't really want to dive into the realities of what it means to like Deal with sexual assault. Deal with having sex really young. Deal with not having sex until you're 25. Deal with, like, all these other, like, things that are real for people but that don't really have a place to be talked about. And so I, I did that in college. Um, but then when I left, there wasn't really anybody to take it up. And so um, it kind of just fizzled. And then I <laughs> they stopped paying for the Libsyn feed. So now you can't go back and listen to it. There's one on Damn SoundCloud it. you can go find. But it was funny because it was before I came out as trans. And so it's interesting to think back to doing that work somebody who people saw as a, as a boy, somebody who wasn't out as transgender, and then now doing this work as a transgender woman, um, having a podcast called Queer Sex Ed really is kind of a different viewpoint on some of the same topics that I was covering. And so um, I think that's part of why we started it was because I just didn't hear some of these conversations happening in, in the feeds that I was listening to. You know, I didn't I didn't hear trans and queer people really talking about a trans and queer perspective on um, different topics in sexual health and sexuality and all sorts of different things
0: to me that's one of the most fulfilling things to do either theatrically or out in the world is just see that need Mm -hmm. to see that that void and then put all of your being into (laughs) filling it and then um just for your personal satisfaction but then you never You never know. My favorite stories are the ones where people who you haven't talked to in years like send you a message on Facebook and they're like, That thing you posted, that made me ask. Just last night, I'm getting Mm -hmm, a little mm -hmm. teared up about it, but I have a friend who last night they're like, You know, um, I had my first day of class this week and I asked my students to tell me their pronouns. And I had someone come up to me, she had someone come up to her after the class and say, I feel safe in a classroom for the right. first time because you did that and you just never it's know So
1: powerful. You don't know who you're impacting. You
0: have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so even yeah. if we're just talking in a dark room right now, purple, I love it. <laughs> there are all these colors. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. too bad you don't
1: have a video show. Cause I have all these like trans liberation <laughs> posters and shit on my wall. This is the best room um, ever. I have my political identity as slut. That was yes. from when I um, helped lead the slut mar- the slut walk in Denver this year. I like read poetry and then was like in the March. That was fun. Um, But yeah, you know, one thing about that too. So I used to do trainings. I just left my job uh, on Friday, which this is Monday and I'm not working, but I'm working because this is how it works now. And that makes me so happy. (laughs) Um, But uh, one of the things I was doing at that job was training. So I was going into businesses and nonprofits and doing LGBT um, education. Uh, And one of the things that, that I would hear a lot about people is like, oh, well, we're afraid. There was always this fear of like a like a potential threat in the future of like, well, we don't want parent pushback, or we're really nervous. You know, if we talk about gender and sexuality openly, or if we ask pronouns, or I don't want somebody to get mad at me that I asked them about their pronouns. Fuck and then, that! You know? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, that's uh, that that's <laughs> so. It's, so the Netflix caption is like internally screaming, and then I'm just sort of like ah! standing yeah. there like, ah! and usually what I tell people is like, look this is what it means to center marginalized voices is you do the things that are going to be a little uncomfortable for you as an ally to do, but what are going to make a huge difference for the people who are impacted by it. Right. So like the risk reward situation is, is very different where it's like, like if you are doing things that might be pushing back on mainstream norms in some way, you're asking for pronouns on your intake at a doctor's office, or, um, you know, you're have, you're asking your, boss to turn your two single stall male and female restrooms into two gender neutral restrooms or whatever has a pretty low barrier to entry but is really about the social fear of like i don't want to get pushed back for this i don't want to be controversial or political right like i'm not i'm not inherently political my identity is politicized for me right it's like right. it's like i don't choose to play identity politics i choose to protect myself from attacks of people who are trying to take away my basic rights and that gets called <laughs> that gets called playing identity politics which is so frustrating to me but like what i tell people is like the the what you're doing is you're causing actual harm now because of a fear of a potential harm that might yeah, happen teacher. and might not happen right and so what usually happens is the schools then start asking pronouns and then there no nothing really happens and the kids are happy about it and they're excited and the trans and queer kids now are created in a safer environment where they're like or we've we've helped create a safer environment for them you know where we say like well you can you can be your full self here and we're going to see that and we'll protect you and we'll honor you and all these things but the even even the ultimate fear, right? If you're somebody who really that makes you uncomfortable, and you're like, why can't they just tell that I'm a boy, and you know you get mad about it or, or whatever because they're asking you your pronoun instead of just assuming it or whatever. Um, when people get get frustrated at that, what they're really doing is they're pushing back against somebody else's like rights being privileged in that space or somebody else being centered in that space. And so the impact on them is like, well, I had this weird thing happen at the doctor's office today, whatever, I get to go on to the rest of my life. And a marginalized person might be like, oh my God, my doctor used they them pronouns. And that like made me feel so safe. And I told them about all these things that I've been worried to tell the doctors, but I haven't been able to communicate with them well. You know, like the, the potential impact you might make for a marginalized person is so much higher than like the person who gets to just like be like, that was kind of weird and then blow it off and not really like deal with it that much.
0: I'm really grateful for you for unpacking that, mm-hmm. because that, I mean, personally for me, one of the reasons that I, I chose Naropa for grad school was that I knew I wanted to perform in grad school, but theater as an industry on the whole is so enmeshed in the binary, like you're mm. told, okay, this is your type, you're a character actress or you're an ingenue, and it is taking so much for me to unlearn and break that open still for myself. Mm-hmm. And Narupa felt like a place where it, it could work.
1: Or at least the conversation could be had. Right, right,
0: right. And yeah. so I'm, for the most part, it's, it's a really good fit for me, but there's still, um, and I don't know if you've felt this, I sort of am saying, saying back sort of what i what I was hearing a little bit when you're put in these positions on a lot of times you're put in these positions to teach whether Mm -hmm. or not you're being asked to teach and then Mm -hmm. being expected to be like the calmest person ever. No question is too stupid. And
1: no discomfort. It fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. It does. It really does. When
0: people are like, well, I just, I'm, 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 I I just, I I don't know if I'm going to be able, I've been using, I've been using she and she and he for so long, I just don't know about they. Or or I've known you as as this for so long and, and it's going to be an adjustment. Or, or if you have, a, I had a director once. It's like, well, it just it stops my process. It slows down my process. And I'm like, what do you think it does for my fucking process?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm laughing ah, with you.
0: <laughs> but I just, I feel good to yeah. say that. Yeah. And, and I don't for our, our listeners, whoever listens to this, um, it just feels good to say this because mm-hmm. a lot of times in these situations, training folks are, and because we have to be, because they're looking for any, any reason not to believe you. Right? right, it's like, we don't, you know, it's it's like, it's the pressure is so intense mm-hmm. to be like a spokesperson and then folks thinking that, oh, you speak for all folks in the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. Right. I don't know. Oftentimes I'm you're the only one allowed now, but... into
1: that space, right? And so it's like, so it's like, yeah, I I think that um, one thing that's that's really frustrating about that, and one thing that I'll say a lot to people is when I was in trainings again, is sort of talking about um, allyship is taking up the discomfort of marginalized groups and allowing them to navigate a world that isn't built for them a little bit easier, right? And so, like having privilege, like the real sort of like embodiment of privilege, a lot of times is ease of access, able to like being able to move through certain spaces, being able to access. Um, loans if you want to start a business, being able to access school if you want to educate yourself, being able to access um, safe housing, being able to access healthcare, being able to access a job that's stable for you, right? Like all these things. And a lot of times what we what we do for marginalized folks is we say like, well, it's just going to be a little too inconvenient for you to be in this space or it's just going to be a little too much of a burden or it's just going to be, you know, well, I've just been like that for a really long time or just, when, you know, and, and and ultimately what we're doing is we're putting the comfort of those privileged people ahead of the actual impact and suffering of the marginalized people, right? And so we're expected if we want to make any change happen, not only do we have to be honest about what's happening for us, but not too honest so that we make people uncomfortable, but also like tell them what they need to do and also sort of like do a lot of the work to get them to do it and then also like all these things in communities that are already disadvantaged, right, that are already living in poor housing, that are already making less money, that are already um, suffering more by being sort of pushing against different parts of, of patriarchy or other pieces of like culture that are oppressing you, racism, sexism, classism, whatever. Um, and so we put this extra burden on top of people. And then when they fail or when they get frustrated or when a person of color is working in an all-white organization and then leaves six months later, Or whatever they go like well i guess they're just not made out for it i guess they just can't do it i guess it's just they're too fragile right because there's no accountability for like we could just make ourselves a little more uncomfortable we could use pronouns that are a little more uncomfortable we could dig into our history of like racist violence that's really uncomfortable for us you know we could do this work of understanding how trans people have been like systematically left out of lgbt legislation for the last 50 years like we could look at that discomfort but we don't have to because that's privilege and so we're gonna make the marginalized person present it to us in some sort of informed way and make them walk this impossible tightrope and then when they fall off then it's not our fault it's their fault because we set up a system to fail and then it failed but we don't see that in the same way we don't see that impact as violence or as destruction we just see it as like well I guess you just weren't up to it and then people even more will use that as a justification to be like well this one time I had this Like (laughs) I hired this person of color for this job and then they like failed at it. And so obviously like people of color just can't do this job, you know, or like whatever other things. Um, And it becomes this like cyclical system. And so really what allies can do is take up that discomfort and say like, I'm going to do the uncomfortable learning. I'm going to do the uncomfortable listening. I'm going to do the uncomfortable thing, which is remembering they, them pronouns or which is whatever. And when I don't do those things, I want to be actually held accountable for it. And that's the hardest part for systems of power to do because they don't want systems of accountability, honestly. Like, sometimes they want faux systems of accountability where you don't have a lot of power, right? But it's like, look at, like, when you get misgendered, there's all these complicated calculations that happen in your head about, like, is this person powerful enough over me that um, I'm going to lose status or access or safety if I correct them? And then, um, like, is it worth it today? Am I feeling extra dysphoric today and I don't really, like, care very much because I've already been in a shitty place or... And you go through all these calculations and then people just say like well i don't know she just never corrected me right or whatever and it's like well because there's all these other like systems of power that are keeping that person from saying it it's your responsibility to be accountable to like oh i'm sorry i meant they and then apologize and move on to what you were going to say and if you really want to support trans and queer people you have to do that legwork. and people just aren't willing to a lot of the times they want to offload that on other <laughs> people
0: <laughs> reflect back one of the things that you said mm-hmm. because for me I, I spent a lot of time thinking about <laughs> thinking about being misgendered and how how I handle it in the moment how other folks around me handle it in the moment and a lot of the work I want to do academically I mean it's it's specifically centered on theater and you know the theater industry theater training programs but I'm really interested in terms of like if there a study could be done about like effective, effective techniques to prohibit misgendering in the classroom. And, mm-hmm. and I think this work is just starting to happen. I don't think there's necessarily scientific stuff that's on the record yet, or at least I haven't been able to find it. But one of the things that you just said was acknowledge that it happened, apologize, correct it, move on. Yeah. Why is that so hard for folks, do you think?
1: Um, because it requires vulnerability. Because it requires um, being wrong. And I think that we are we still live in the very sort of puritanical roots of white Christian colonialism, right? And so when we do this sort of like punitive, either self-punishment or punishment of others for what we see as like transgressions against gender or sexuality or norms or, um, you know, being a slut or like being really positive about sexuality or being positive about gender or being positive about um, being a person of color or like celebrating those communities or whatever else. We see that in some ways, like white people who have power in the society are like conditioned to see that as dangerous or as like risky or as threatening in some way to like this zero sum idea. Um, and it doesn't have to be. Like that. Like, I think a lot of times when people with privilege imagine what justice looks like, they imagine themselves being punished. They imagine their money being taken away, their power being taken away, their systems of access being taken away, their family lineage being taken away, their history being taken away. Or like, to them, it's all loss. All of it is loss. But you don't have to necessarily do that. Like, of course, if you make more people of color be representatives, there will be less white representatives. Like, there are zero sum pieces of that puzzle that need to happen. But it's not like there's a lack of jobs in Washington, like then just to have one of the white politicians become an aide instead and then help support that person's career. Right. So like we think in this really limited zero sum mindset, but what we can actually do is just bring up the marginalized groups to the level that we're already treating the people that have privilege. Right. So like the type of respect that a white man gets when he goes to talk to the manager, well, all people should just have that respect when they go to talk to the manager Right? like the answer isn't that like the white dude needs to be hated on by the manager more. (laughs) right right? or like whatever and so or or the other thing people imagine sometimes is a power flip right where it's like well in order for sexism to be over then women need to have control over men for 300 and whatever 200 and whatever years in the U.S. because that's how long you know or just and it's like that that doesn't a that doesn't do anything you're like just trading one system out for another and the other thing people lose in that is that oppressors are hurt by their own systems of oppression also, right? Like we can't lose track of like who really is targeted by those systems, which is people of color and people who are femme presenting or femme showing up in any way, you know, like there are people who are more targeted in those systems, but, but people who are dominant in that system lose out too, right? The way that men are limited in our society, um, limited in their emotions, limited in how they can make connections with people, limited in how they can show affection for each other. All that stuff is detrimental to men and hurts them a lot and having more egalitarian system of gender and sexuality that was more expansive of what masculinity could be Mm. or that allowed more feminine people in 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 masculinity or didn't just say like well you have a penis so you have to do this or you have a vagina so you have to do this um, or you're intersex so how are we even going to classify you (laughs) right like if we have a classification system that's supposedly scientific so to speak but that like systematically leaves out millions of people like is the problem with those millions of people or is the problem with your classification system like i think it's with the classification system in that case right and so uh, it just it's it's very frustrating to me when people see sort of social justice or whatever as this enemy that they have to fight um because it's not really that it's that people are really just trying to help you be a better person and it would be great if you could listen <laughs> every now and then maybe yes
0: yes <laughs> Oh, you're so fucking smart. I could just listen to you for hours, hours on end. Mm. It's just really delightful to like get into this stuff with you yeah. in, in this platform.
1: I like the deep dives. That's why I like hey. podcasting. You know?
0: Right? When you're on it's... NPR,
1: you can only talk for three minutes, right? And so you just have to give the most cursory thing you possibly right. can.
0: The soundbite that will be taken out and tweeted and Uh, all the things I want to talk about a piece that you wrote for medium recently Ooh,
1: yeah please tell
0: me how this uh piece came to be and uh some of the responses you've gotten to it
1: yeah um so I wrote an article about a month ago um that's titled when you say I won't date trans people it's transphobic and here's why um I don't think there's an and in there actually. I don't know. Um you can search for it. You'll find we'll it. We'll
0: link to it in the episode description. Or just do that. That'll
1: be great. Um <laughs> but but really sort of the the point of the article is that you can't tell who's trans by looking at somebody, right? And so oftentimes what people do is they say, like, well, um, you know, it's great that this trans person is living their life and they're happy and whatever, but I just I could never date a trans person. I could never be attracted to a trans person because um, it's just a personal preference for me, right? And what's actually happening there is that you can't tell who's trans and who's not, right? And so I think sometimes people have this misconception that every trans woman looks a certain way or has facial hair or has visible Adam's apple or like these other things that people sort of try. And you see that in movies a lot too, right? Like there's a joke in The 40-Year-Old Virgin where like they're joking that the prostitute that he had sex with had big hands, so she must have been... Um, a man, quote unquote, right? Instead of, um, so like that trope is sort of continued for a long time. But what the piece is really talking about is that since you can't know if somebody's trans, how do you know that person you're dating with on Tinder isn't a trans person? How do you know that cute person at work that you're flirting with isn't a trans person? Like, how do you know that um, the person that you're buying a drink for at the bar isn't a trans person, right? And so if you are only attracted to that person until you find out that they're trans, then it's not like you get unattracted to them. You Your attraction is just being overridden by your, like, repulsion against transness and trans people. And so, you know, I'm, I'm never going to tell anybody who to date. Like, I especially one distinction that I had to make in the article, and again in, like, multiple answers afterwards, <laughs> um, was that I'm not telling people you have to date a trans person, or All you right. have to date any specific trans person, or that you have to date me. I only like to date people who want to date me, because <laughs> consent is great. Um, <laughs> but 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 what i was saying is when you do a blanket exemption and this goes for like race too right so like when you see no fats no femmes when you see like no blacks no asians whatever on on a dating profile like those are all bigoted choices because what you're doing is you're you're crossing out an entire diverse group of people with different interests and needs and body types and ways they like to have sex and desires and interests and you know, trans women can have a penis or not have a penis. Trans women can um, have a deep voice or not a deep voice. Trans women can have facial hair or not facial hair. Like, there's all, all these things. And cisgender women can have all of Same. those things. yeah. You know, up to, like, you can be, have XX chromosomes and be born with a penis. Because, like, biology is weird like that sometimes. You know, and so I think that we get caught up on the idea of trans as this, like, scary other instead of just seeing it as natural human variation that exists across people, right? And it exists across all of time and space. And so I said earlier, it's sort of like, it's like white Western colonial society is rediscovering these identities and terms that they've oppressed for a really long time. But indigenous people in North and South America and in Asia and in Africa um, and across the world, really, there's even within white culture in Europe history of people who experienced gender fluidity or who, you know, portrayed themselves as, quote unquote, the wrong gender or the other gender, right? Um, there's, there's, there's a long history of all of that. And what we're doing is we're just like rediscovering that and putting terms to it that are new. Um, but the, the variation of that has existed across all of time and space. And so when we sort of have this idea that transness is a new fad, or that people are just doing it to trick somebody, or they're doing it because it's a mental health disorder, or they're um, doing it because it's a sexual fetish they're trying to like force everyone into being a part of, or you know, all these other like justifications that people use, well, they're all really complicated and convoluted, and ultimately are just ways to do backflips over the more simple truth, which is just that I'm a woman who has a penis, and I was misidentified at birth. Um, that's much simpler but also much more dangerous to a patriarchal society that's invested power in penises. um, And that sort of has used that as a way to propagate um, oppression of femininity and femme folks and sort of femme labor in society and all these other things. Um, And so the whole point of of the article was saying like, you don't know who's trans. So really the point of the article was to ask people some questions or at least help them ask themselves some questions. Um, And really the core that I wanted to get to, and the core that I would always talk about in the trainings that I was doing or other pieces is like the, the true heart of trans liberation is that trans women are women and trans men are men and non-binary people are whole and valid gender identities outside of a Western colonialist gender binary, right? And so if you hold those three things as true, Then all the rest of trans liberation is really easy and makes a lot of sense. It's only when you try to do backflips over all of those things to like fit them into other boxes that they're not fit into or to make assumptions about certain genitals or identities or other Mm -hmm. things that's when it starts to get complicated. Right. And so when people think that being trans is really complicated, it's like, no, it's just been complicated on purpose by people who are trying to repress those identities or really sort of push them out of our society. And so the questions that I wanted people to think about are like, for example, what are you really afraid of when you say I won't date trans people, right? Because many times it's things like, well, I'm afraid of having sex with genitals that I'm not used to, or that I don't, um, that I don't associate with femininity or masculinity inherently. Right. And so, um, if you're somebody who's a cisgender woman, just meaning like your sex is the same as the gender that you, your, your sex assigned at birth is the same as the gender you feel. So if you are identified female at birth and then you feel like a woman, you'd be a cisgender woman. Um, To be a cisgender woman who's only dated other cisgender women and then all of a sudden here comes a trans woman who has a penis and you're attracted to her femininity, but you feel really uncomfortable at her having a penis. Um, Really the work there is to decentralize penis from masculinity and to really see femininity as able to encompass all different body types. Mm. Um, And sometimes I do that with humor, right? So like if I'm ever on a (laughs) date with somebody and and I'm like... Uh, I'm sensing some nervousness around uh, my, my 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 bait and tackle a little bit. Um <laughs> I'll say, i I do the like S. Bear Bergman style of just like every single time I say my genitals, I just like pick a different descriptor for it. It's <laughs> like <laughs> he does these great sex health trainings where he just like starts by writing a ton of different words for genitals that aren't penis sure. and vagina. Yeah. And so and then as he does the whole presentation, I'll just like point to the board and be like, And when you're touching your tackle box, a girl <laughs> <laughs> or your banana Love sling, it. or your just whatever people can come up with. Um, but anyway, so if I'm sensing some nervousness about it, you know, I'll just be like, you know, it's just like a strap on that goes everywhere with me.
0: <laughs> Beautifully said. I want bumper stickers. <laughs> I want coffee mugs.
1: Who's so afraid of a strapless strap on? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, so yeah, are you afraid you might be having sex with genitals that you're not used to? And in is there an assumption in that as well, right? That some trans women have a vulva and a vagina and have had them for a long time. And so are you making assumptions about all trans people looking a certain way in general, right? Um The other thing was, are you afraid of being seen in public with a trans person? Right. Like, so when you say, I don't want to date trans people, is it because you're imagining yourself on a public date with a trans person who's visibly trans, who you then have to protect in some way or defend or feel like people are laughing at you or making fun of you for dating a trans person? Like, is that where your fear is coming Mm. from? And then how can you put yourself in spaces with trans people to confront that or to sort of put yourself in the true space of trans liberation, not just like allowance for us to live as long as we don't like intrude on your life too much like how do you really buy into true liberation for trans people um are you afraid of challenging your identity as a straight person or as a gay man or as a lesbian woman right so like sometimes people will say things like like they'll they'll only date real women quote unquote and by that they mean cisgender women right but then they'll go home and watch a ton of trans porn and get really turned on by trans women and imagine like having sex with someone who has a penis who's a trans woman Um, But the fracture there happens because they see penis as male no matter what. And so even though they may conceive of the rest of the person as a a woman, those genitals still remain like male genitals in their mind, right? And so the work there is to then, again, decentralize genitals from gender and be able to say like, well, this is just a tool. And some people may not even want to have sex with it, right? I've had like partners who are trans women where the entirety of our sexual experience didn't involve any genital touching or play because either one of us was dysphoric about it or we didn't want to be doing it or didn't feel good or whatever else and so are you making assumptions about the type of sex you would be having or about what you would have to do with certain type of genitals you know people just imagine a trans woman and they just imagine like getting penetrated by somebody and it's like well some people don't even like doing that even if they have those genitals right Right. and so again are you making assumptions about an entire society based on your own projections of it or are you really wondering like where's that fear coming from and then the last one um, was, are you afraid of, like, believing yourself to no longer be a lesbian or a gay man, right? Is it causing, not, not is it causing an external crisis of, like, people will think I'm not straight anymore if I'm with a trans woman, but is it actually causing an internal crisis, as in, I don't think I'm straight because I like this trans woman, right? Um, and the answer there may be expanding your sexuality beyond, like, seeing yourself as straight, or it might be sort of being like, well um attraction is complicated and there's no way to really know what you like or what you don't like so far ahead of time right which i think is why these boxes get scary for people because people think gay man and they think a lot of specific things that don't actually have to do with being a man but have to do with having a penis and being really hairy in certain places and all these other things and it's like i've met some pretty hairy trans guys like i've met some (laughs) you know what i mean like like there are trans people that fit each of those categories and like is it really that big of a difference if your partner's a trans guy that wears a strap on or if he's like got a cock that's been there since birth like in effect not really right when you're laying there on the bed and you're not looking at them and you're getting like humped by it like you're gonna feel the same like you will feel good <laughs> it'll feel fine right you know and so i think a lot of times we get hung up about not really trans people themselves but what does it mean we get worried about the sort of cultural projections of what it means to date a trans person. And I, I really wanted to find a way to sort of break that down for people and help them ask themselves the questions of like, is it that I don't want to date trans people or is it that I actually have all these other fears that are going on if I did? Because right? that attraction is still there either way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have a question about, is it is this new work that you're doing or the continuing work you're going to do as a professional slut with mm-hmm. this podcast, mm-hmm. is it sort of a nice... Balance to all the heaviness that advocacy can have.
1: Do
0: yeah. you want to speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, it both is and it isn't, right? And in some ways, I feel like I've just like shifted the prism of my advocacy where mm. before that light was really focused on educating organizations so they would hire more trans people, doing education with government officials so that they would create jobs programs for more trans people or they would create safe housing for us or you know, mm. they would protect our healthcare or whatever. You know, and really, I feel like I've just kind of shifted that prism over to sex and sexuality, where it's like, I really truly believe, if you want to get, like, deep into <laughs> into what my thoughts are about this, like, um I think that trans positivity and sex positivity and um, empowered sexuality and what I like, these are anti-fascism in action, or like being able to show up as my full queer trans self, like being able to love in the way that i want to love and make relationships in the way that i want to as a polyamorous person and a kinky person and um a pretty like public identified slut um that is a radical expression of my freedom and autonomy you know and so it i think that in some ways this is just i tell people sometimes i'm like follow your joy right like like what makes you joyful and then take steps towards that joy and maybe it's just a tiny baby step all right it it was one night it was like a a year ago over a year ago just like checking around for web domains one like evening and figuring out that queersexed.org was open and being like i could do something with that mine (laughs) you know and i hopped on it and i didn't do anything with it really for like nine months but i just kept talking to people about it and thinking about it and my partner jay who lives in Wisconsin. Um, uses Z, Zer, and Zers pronouns and Z and I met at a conference um and had been sort of growing a deeper relationship after the conference which was in January um and eventually I was just like do you want to do this with me like would you want to record these shows with me because like Z has worked at Planned Parenthood and done sex ed through them and has done a lot of sort of like the front-facing work of working in like clinics and doing sex education in schools and you know that type of side of it and i was just like and jay thank god has a lot more of the technical knowledge of like how exactly can transmission happen in certain ways and like when is testing detectable in certain things all these like technical skills that i don't have which is great um but you know i it was it was baby steps of like what makes me joyful and how do i do more of that in my life because ultimately like As a trans person and a queer person and um, somebody who's pretty white passing but person of color um I, i face a lot of times where i just should have said no i should have just kept working a wage labor job i should have just kept working service i should have um just basically like been crushed by a system that's trying to crush me and i find that there's a lot of power in not only empowering myself to step outside of that system but also trying to help other people step out of that system in some way too and really Live our dreams as trans and queer people because we are so kept from that, and we're so forced to um, limit ourselves and and to really cut off our potential. Um, because who would ever cast a non-binary person in a movie? Who would ever um, let a trans woman be the head of a company? Who would ever um, elect a trans woman to Congress? Like who? You know, like like we we get stuck on on not being able to envision people who are living our dreams now and that's really what what privilege allows you to do is it allows you to see all the possibility spaces that you can explore and if you're a marginalized person in any way or an intersectionally marginalized person in lots of ways um that possibility space is just so small and intentionally small um and so i want to keep expanding that space and say it's important for trans and queer people not just to get our basic healthcare met, but to have fucking pleasure, like to have relationships that we enjoy, like to have sex that feels fucking good for us, like to have people call our bodies things that feel affirming, Um, you know, not just to have pity sex and hate sex. And um, I I think that we are forced to settle for so little so often. Um, And I just don't want to do that anymore.
0: I think that's, a great tagline as we're <laughs> as we're winding down this interview. I don't want to say amen, but yes, 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 yes. Yes. So if folks wanna keep uh expanding this space with you, investing in this mm-hmm. these new ventures of yours, what's the best way to keep in contact with you and all the wonderful things you're doing in the
1: world? Yeah, totally. So queersexed.org is where the podcast is. You can also subscribe on whatever app you use or on Apple Podcasts. Um I also um, have a Facebook page, there's a Queer Sex Ed Facebook page you can go to, um, and I'll usually post updates about the show or when the next episode is coming up or ask questions if people have them. You can send questions or like people who you think would be good to interview or whatever to me at um, queersexed@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And then uh, other than that, I'll be at the Gender Infinity Conference in Houston, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, presenting on queer sex ed on Friday, so from two thirty to four, I'm talking about queering sex ed for trans youth um, at that conference.
0: Amazing. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just stoked to see all the amazing things that you do. I feel like you're at this really great trajectory where you're just like lifting off into new atmospheres, mm-hmm. and I'm really grateful that you sat down to talk with me and that i can witness it thank you sarah yeah
1: thanks for letting me be a part of your show and for just like being my friend because you're super rad and i love you
0: i love you (laughs) too